Operation Life Ministry would like to first thank you for carefully selecting and participating in one of the most becoming podcast shows anywhere you can hear and view a podcast. On this podcast, we read verses of the scripture and engage in conversation that lead to study, not to give rise to public disagreement. Operation Life Ministry is not a hate group. We are not affiliated with any Israelite groups or cults or alternative religions or any new age movements. Operation Life Ministry, root in speech, not in knowledge news, and the newly acquired show, yes, maybe, no, are all hosted by Brother Chief, and we are a non-violent Bible-based talk show podcast. We do not advocate or condone any acts of violence against any race of people, the tongues of ethnicity or genders. We advise that any who hears of any plots that can and will cause harm to any person or persons or break the law of the land, you must contact the proper authorities to bring awareness to any possible threat, as stated in Leviticus chapter 5 verse 1. And if a soul sin, and hear the voice of swearing, and is a witness, whether he hath seen or known of it, if he do not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. On every podcast, an episode of Yes Maybe No, we are asking the big questions, and asking, if you the listener and viewer agree. Yes, by all means. Maybe, perhaps, possibly. No, absolutely not. Leave a comment if you will. Share if you will. Okay, Brother Will, you've been um, uh, um, waiting to do this yes, sir. for a particular moment. Brothers and sisters who are tuning in, we want to say thank you for choosing this podcast. We want to say thank you for choosing this where you watch it at. If you watch this on YouTube, we want to say thank you. If you thank watch you. this on Facebook, we want to say thank you. Wherever you thank are watching this and wherever you are listening to this on podcast, we here want to say thank you. Um, we are also um, on this particular study, we are looking at 1844. Yes, sir. Um, Brother Will, mm-hmm. as many of you know who listen to this podcast is of the Seven-Day Adventist Movement. And Brother Will is going to give some enlightenment on William Miller. We're going to take our time going through this, trying to understand who the Seven-Day Adventists are, where they came from, why they're here, and why God is using them to remind people, one, to keep the Sabbath, one, to eat healthy, Mm -hmm. you know, um, there will be a a lot of agreements and disagreements from the people because we at Operation Life Ministries believe in the yes, maybe, no. Amen. Either you agree with this, either (laughs) you might, either you are that warm, we don't really want you to be at the maybe, want to even yay or nay, you know, but there are those who, when they hear, they are are not sure, you know, they're not at that sure, and here we have, um, 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 we as Christians, we like to discuss God, Amen. okay, one thing that we do know, Brother Will, and that we are in agreement with is that the commandments Come on, of man. God stand. It stands. You Amen. Know, it stands. Come on, brother. We do know that the Most High God mm. is using avenues to get His word out. That's right. Okay. We do know He's speaking on all four corners of the earth. That's right. Where that His word is in this world, even though that Christ says, I am not of this world. That's right. See, for those who are of this world Uh shall die in their sins. That's right. There are two Jerusalems, the one that is on this earth right now and the one which is above. Amen. Which shall come down. Yes, sir. Which is not of this world. Absolutely. There was 
a temple that was built by Herod, Brother Will. Yes, it was. See, where that Christ says, my father's house is a house of prayer. That's right. But the temple that Herod built, it became a shopping mall. Almost. That's right. That's so right. So what we're doing is however God is going to use you, brother. That's right. Who is listening, sister, who is listening. That's to right. bring forth the word of God, let it be in truth. That's right. Let it be by scripture. Amen. Everything must be proved. Brother Will, the floor is yours. Yep. But before we get in this, Brother Will, can I pray for what the listeners and pray that the most high God opens your heart and mind to bring this to us, okay? Yes, sir. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you for what you're doing. We want to say thank you for this podcast. We want to say thank you for the ability to put this on um, streaming apps and devices. Heavenly Father, where that people can hear and study with us. Heavenly Father, we're calling today and asking that you touch Brother Will as he is able to go through the scriptures. Heavenly Father, let him be grounded, let him stand strong, let him be ready and prepared for the questions that might come along as he is studying, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we're asking that we come together, Heavenly Father, yes, Lord. in yes, Lord. agreement, Heavenly yes, Father, Lord. for if there are two, Heavenly Father, that are in agreement, then you are in the midst, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we pray, Heavenly Father, that the viewers here in agreement, Heavenly Father. We're asking that if any viewer have a question, Heavenly Father, that you put it on their heart, Heavenly Father, that they can leave a message, Heavenly Father, and that you will give us the strength, the ability, the knowledge, the faith, Heavenly Father, to answer that question, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus to Christ, Heavenly Father, at the start of this podcast, Heavenly Father, we pray for the viewers, we pray for the listeners, we pray, Heavenly Father, whichever ailments that is going on, Heavenly Father, yes. you know what's going on with them, Heavenly Father, you know every situation. We're praying for those in South Africa, Heavenly mm. Father. Heavenly Father, we're praying for your church, Heavenly Father, all over the face of the earth. In this coronavirus, in this flu virus, in all of these diseases, Heavenly Father, the, the diseases, Heavenly Father, that we can't name, mm -hmm. that we ask, Heavenly Father, that you protect your church, Heavenly Father. Protect your church. Keep us covered, Heavenly Father. Let you be our vaccine, Heavenly that's Heavenly right. Father, we're asking that your word enters mm. in us, enter in us, that we follow your commandments, Heavenly Father. By following your commandments, by doing right, by eating right, by taking the right foods, Heavenly Father, by anointing ourselves with oil, That's Heavenly right. Father, that you will protect us. In the name of Jesus the Christ, Heavenly Father, of Nazareth, Heavenly Father, we pray unto thee. Amen. Amen. Brother Will. And for the um, viewers or the listeners... Now, the listeners, not the viewers, we're going to be talking about a subject matter dealing with God's church and last day movement. And because, you know, God's church of, of the characteristics never changed from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We're just dealing with his laws, statutes, and commandments. You know what I mean? And God's church that began in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve, when they were in the Garden of Eden, you know what I mean? When they were in the Garden of Eden, they were in a, what you call a country type of area. It wasn't no cities built. You know what I mean? Because we know that according to the scriptures from the descendants of Cain, that's when the cities start to be built. To show man's the glory or trying to take the place of God, you know what I mean? But not giving God the creator the credit. Because man always trying to give themselves a title or a name or a position that they don't deserve. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we, now we're going to talk about the identity of God's true church and where it came from. So we're going to get into the subject matter of what took place on October the 22nd, 1844, that would bring the two names in. William Miller, we're going to, like, you know, reveal who he was, according from the Bible, you know what I mean, and talk about his background. And we're going to talk more about Sister Ellen White and who she was and what was her background. You know what I mean? So we're going to get more into who these people were based upon the prophetic Bible prophecy of the Word of God. 
So um, I'm going to start right here in the book of Revelation chapter 12, starting right here with verse 17. And this will give you the description of God's end time church and how it will look. You know what I mean? So the view, I mean, the listeners that's listening in, you will have an idea of what movement is the true movement to be part of or join in them with Christ's um, uh, um, word. So we go right here to Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. And it reads, And the dragon, and we know the dragon represents the devil in one sense. When we go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 and verse 10, And the dragon was wroth, and wroth means very angry, very violent, with the woman. And a woman represents what? The church. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 2, And went to make war, with the remnant of her seed. Mm. So the remnant represents what? The end remains of something. You know what I mean? The remains of something that had a foundation from the beginning. It's like the remains, the last remains. The remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimonies of Jesus Christ. So we know that the commandments of God also contains that fourth commandment. When it says, remember the seven-day Sabbath to keep it holy. And we know that the true biblical Sabbath begins on what? On Friday sundown, from when the sun sets, that begins your next day. Not 12 o'clock midnight. Because 12 o'clock midnight don't begin your next day. It's when the shadow time, when the shadow enter the earth. When that night time comes and the sun has set. That begins your next day according to the Bible. And when you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, the evening and the morning begins your next day. So God always begins his next day starting with the evening time when the sun sets. So these people keep the true day of worship, which is on the Sabbath, you know, the commandments, and they also keep the dietary law. So when the Bible says in the sixth commandment, thou should not kill. That means that you cannot eat everything that you see that's out there that would do harm to your body. That means that you cannot eat the swine. That, that means that you cannot eat the crabs or the lobsters, you know, which is in the book of Leviticus chapter 11. And when you go right there to the book of Deuteronomy, I believe in the 14th chapter, when it's talking about stay away from anything without the fins and scales. You know what I mean? That, that means that lobsters and crabs, and then you got catfish and all that stuff to eat up the waste in the bowel movement or anything that might be in the ocean. Come on. They eat it up. Come on. Because they call scavengers of the sea. Come on. You know what I mean? So God don't want us to eat a scavenger to eat up the waste and eat up the, all the bacteria that's in the ocean. That's what keeps the ocean purified. It's the crabs, the lobster, and the catfish. And that's why the bay dirty now. That's why the bay is dirty now. You know what I mean? That's why you, when you go to certain like um um harbors, like when you go to Boston and go to different places, they got a smell to it. Because they take all the crabs out, and they take all the lobsters out, and you can smell the filth that's in that ocean, or in that, uh, um, that bay area. Can I read verse 17? Uh-huh. The dragon grew angry with the woman and went away to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keeps God's commandments, mm -hmm. and hold Jesus' testimony. So that's a two-part thing here. That's right. So the movement contains the commandments. We're talking about the remnant now, because you know the remnant represents the end time people. That represents the last remains of God's church, which is the woman. Because remember, the woman got started with Adam and Eve. And that's why God told them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. It wasn't talking about a building, you know what I mean, that people go to. They call church or tabernacle sanctuary. You know what I mean? Because God's not coming back for that. He's coming back for what he created from the very beginning which is man and woman. That's his church. Those that keep the commandments of God and have the testimonies of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And let's find out what the testimony of Jesus Christ is. Let's go to Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. Let me get that. Revelations 19. Verse 10. At verse 10, let me read that. And I fell at his feet to worship him mm -hmm. and he said unto me see thou do it not I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus worship God 
for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So we found out that God's last day church called the remnant will contain the commandments of God, then with the Sabbath, then with the health laws, then with the dress reform, then with anything that's dealing with not defiling the temple of God. They will contain that with the Ten Commandments and also have the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. So the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus because the prophecy comes from where? When you break down the word prophecy, it comes from what? A prophet. Mm -hmm. So a prophet has to be moved by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what prophet it is that God choose, if it's a male or female, because you know, you have prophetess in the Bible, like Anna the prophetess. And then you had Philip that had seven daughters who were virgins, damsels, that were able to prophesy in the book of Acts. So in the same time, God don't care who he used, he just want to be known because he don't want to be separated from his creation because he loved what he creates. Because remember, brothers and sisters, everything that God made from the beginning was good. And that's the church that he's coming back for. Things that he made which was good and not impure and not unrighteous and not a transgressor of his law. So now we know that the spirit of prophecy represents the testimony of Jesus Christ. And we know that the spirit of prophecy is given by a prophet. So that will bring in Sister Ellen White. So now we about to dig in now. You know so, what I mean? So, 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 Revelation chapter 19 at verse 10. Mm-hmm. Which is, is first Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. Mm-hmm. The rest, the remnant of his saints. Right. Okay, so now the sex, the sex enemy is known to attack the rest of the children of God, mm -hmm. which is now coming in. Yes, sir. Because he has to be let loose somewhere, I guess. Absolutely. In order to attack the rest. Mm -hmm. He had to be stopped somewhere to stop attacking the old, but the rest, I guess. I'm going to let you show us all of this however my question is the spirit of prophecy which we just seen is given by a prophet so you about to show us that shucks ellen g white or william miller who are you showing us is just ellen g white a prophet is this referring to her yeah because in the same time god don't have no respect of persons who he choose to worship him or to serve him and to obey him. As a matter of fact, let's go to the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 27 and 28. Galatians? Yeah, that was written by Apostle Paul as he was moved by the Holy Spirit. In the book of Galatians, chapter 3. Okay. And we're going to start right here with um, verse 27 and 28 and 29. So we're doing 27, 28, and 29. And this would prove right here that God is in respect of no persons who he choose to follow him and be used by him. Okay, I'm going to do 27. You do 28, 29. Mm -hmm. The book of Galatians, chapter, chapter 3, verse 27. For as many as, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. In verse 29, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and herbs according to the promise. So right there, brothers and sisters, letting you know that God is no respect of persons whoever that he decide for that person to come to him, which is male or female, it doesn't matter what nationality that you might be in, neither Jew nor Greek. So God could choose whoever that he wants to choose, you know what I mean, to come to him and to serve him and to obey him and to worship him, regardless of nationality, regardless of any type of background that they might came from, uneducated or educated, poor, rich, 
slave, free man, it doesn't matter. God's no respect of nobody. He choose who he want to choose. Mm -hmm. That's what make him God. You know what I mean? So right here is a proven example that anybody could be used by God if, if a person is called to be a prophet or a prophetess, God would use either male or female. And that takes you back to what we were talking about, Sister White. You know, where we was, and, 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 and so is William, okay, is William Miller a prophet? No, William Miller was a man that was used by God, but not as a prophet. You know what I mean? He was a preacher, but not a prophet. Because, let's break down, because you know, people got different diversity of gifts. Diversity of different gifts. And when you go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let's read that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So we can break down that God's body, which is called the body of Christ, have diversities of gifts. That some people might be called to be a teacher, some people might be called to be a preacher. You know what I mean? So you got different diversities of gifts. And it should be right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when they talk about the different gifts and the operations. Start at verse 1 or... Matter of fact, we can start right here in verse, um, yeah, verse 1 and we can read on down to 11. To 11. Alright, so I'll start off with the first five and you do the rest. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now concerning spiritual things, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. Let's go to the King James. Let's now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye, oh, okay. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse mm -hmm. and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost now there are diversities of gifts but the same spirit now there are difference of administrations but the same Lord and there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. In verse 11, for all these working that one in the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So right there is letting you know right there that God will bring forth different gifts to different people. So William Miller, who was what you call a preacher, he was not in the status quo as a prophet, you know what I mean? Because we know according to the Bible that God will visit his prophets through visions and through dreams. And the words that they speak will come to pass. You know what I mean? And the thing about a prophet is sometimes God would use a prophet, you know what I mean? From, it starts really in the womb of their mother according to the Bible. According to Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. So when God, when God calls a man to a certain position, it don't start by having an ordination that takes place within a church function at church so-and-so and over there in this denomination church. It starts right there within the womb. That's the beginning of God's church. Now when he ordains somebody to be what you call a preacher or to be what you call apostle or be a prophet or to be any type of person that's going to be used by the Holy Spirit. And start right there in the womb. But right here, it's talking about the diversity of the gifts. But I'm going to follow that book and chapter and verse with another book and chapter and verse that combines with the diversities and functions of different gifts. I'm going to go to Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians. 
And I believe it's in Ephesians. Let me go there real quick. They give y'all pinpoint accuracy. Yeah, Ephesians chapter 4. And we start right here with verse 10, 11, and 12. Okay, I'll read 10, you read 11 and 12. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Mm. So right here, we have what you call Sister White in the position right here as prophet. And then we have what you call evangelist underneath William Miller, a preacher, evangelist. So William Miller, and, and, and you know where my stance is on this, where I'm trying to yes, figure sir. this out. Amen. And my stance is how did Ellen G. White, okay? Mm -hmm. How did Miss White in the Seventh-day Adventists mm -hmm. come out of a Baptist preacher? Now, before we get deep into yes. this, because we have to break this up, can we go to... Let's go to 1 Corinthians. Uh-huh. And let's read... Um, chapter 1? Yeah, starting at chapter 1, but we're going to start at 10 and to verse 17. So that's seven verses. I'll do the first right. four, and you do the last three. Okay. okay so you want to do 17, 16, 15. Okay. I'm going to start at verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is 1 Corinthians, brothers and sisters, um, chapter 1, starting at verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you say I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? You got it, brother. And I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I have baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of St Stephenus. Besides, I know not whether I baptize any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Let's look at, is Christ divided? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is Christ divided? Mm-hmm. Now, mm. The Protestant movement. Yeah, the protest. The protest. William Miller mm -hmm. is a Protestant. Mm -hmm. Coming out of the Protestant movement. Mm -hmm. Says that the Seventh day Adventists are Protestants. Mm -hmm. But they speak against Protestants. Let's, let's, let's clarify that. Yes, let's clarify See, that. See, the thing about it is. See, before the Seventh-day Adventists became what you call, with their name, yes. they were known as Adventists. The Adventists were what you call people that came out from the denominational churches that were divided. Yes. You know what I mean? And what happened was William Miller, who was a deist at one time for peers of years, he came into the knowledge of God in his late 40s or 50s. 
Till I got a book called The Great Controversy that explains when his background. I mean, I'm going to just read a little bit of his yeah, background yeah, of yeah, William yeah, Miller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the listeners will be able to be clarified to understand who this man was. Yes. You know what I mean? So we're not on Sister White yet, but we're going to get to Sister White, but we're going to talk about William Miller. Yeah. You know? Focus on William Miller. Here you go. This is his background. Okay. He had, William Miller had in his early life battled with poverty and had thus learned the great lessons of energy and self-denial. The members of the family from which he sprung up were characterized by independent liberty-loving spirit, by capability of endurance and ardent patriotism, traits which were also prominent in his character. His father was a captain in the army of the revolution, and to the sacrifices which he made and the struggles and suffering of that stormy period may trace the straightened circumstances of Miller's early life. He had a sound physical constitution and even in childhood gave evidence of more than ordinary intellectual strength. As he grew older, this became more marked. His mind was active and well-developed and he had a keen thirst for knowledge. Though he did not enjoy the advantages of a college education. His love of study and a habit of careful thought and close criticism rendered him a man of sound judgment and comprehensive views. He possessed an irreproachable moral character and an enviable reputation, being generally esteemed for integrity, thrift, and benevolence. By dint of energy and application, he early acquired a competence through his habits of study were still maintained. He filled various civil and military offices with credit and the avenues to wealth and honor seemed wide open to him. His mother was a woman of sterling piety and in childhood, and in childhood he had been subject to religious impressions. In early childhood, however, he was thrown into the society of deists, whose influence was the stronger from the fact that they were mostly good citizens, men of humane and benevolent disposition. Living as they did in the midst of Christian institutions, their characters had been to some extent molded by their surroundings. For the excellence which won them respect and confidence they were indebted to the Bible, and yet these good gifts were so perverted as to exert an influence against the word of God. So, brothers and sisters who's listening, William Miller was a deist. Before he really gave himself over to Christ as his Lord and Savior, let's look at the word deist. The deists believe in, in a creator. They believe in a God. They don't, they don't call it by name. They just believe that God is somewhere up in space, somewhere that God has nothing to do with human affairs. So they separate the creation away from God. They believe that God is somewhere up there. They had nothing to do with everyday life activities. That he do not evolve himself in life, um, in life affairs. So they believe that God is somewhere up in the clouds while they do their own thing down here on earth. So that's a deist. You know what I mean? So they don't connect God with nature. They don't connect anything dealing with God. They believe that God far distance. So that's what his background was. He didn't have a belief system in the Bible at all. You know what I mean? So at the same time, he believed in certain moral principles, but he just didn't believe in the Bible at first. So we're going to read on. He continued to hold these views, however, for about 12 years. But at the age of 34, the Holy Spirit impress his heart with a sense of his condition as a sinner. He found in his former belief no assurance of happiness beyond the grave. So he didn't believe in life after death beyond the grave. He believed that when you die, it's over, it's done. You know what I mean? There ain't no hope for the person that dies. So when you live your life on this earth, that's it. And when you die, it's all over with. So it's no resurrection that you know, no resurrection from the grave, that's what he wants to believe. 
Sadducee. Now, Sadducee, exactly. They believed in the resurrection. The future was dark and gloomy to him. Referring afterwards to his feelings at this time, he said, annihilation, an annihilation was a cold and chilling thought. And account accountability was sure destruction to all. The heavens were as grass over my head, and the earth as iron under my feet. Eternity, eternity, what was it? He asked the question, what was eternity? And death, why was it? He asked the question. And some of y'all listeners might be asking the question too. Why is death taking place to babies that don't deserve to die, or young people that are being gunned down out in the streets? Why is this taking place? And some of y'all might be scratching here right now, wondering, is there any hope beyond the grave? That's what William Miller once believed. And this is what happened. The more I reasoned, the further I was from demonstration. The more I thought, the more scattered were my conclusions. I tried to stop thinking, but my thoughts would not be controlled. I was truly rushing, but did not understand the cause. I murmured and complained, but knew not of whom. I knew that there was a wrong, but knew not how or where to find the right. I murmured, but without hope. In this state, he continued for some months. Suddenly, he says, the character of a savior was vividly impressed upon my mind. It seemed that there might be a being so good and compassionate as to himself atone for our transgressions and thereby save us from suffering the penalty of sin. I immediately felt how lovely such a being must be and imagined that I could cast myself into the arms of and trust in the mercy of such a one. But the question arose. He had a question that came past his mind. How can it be proved that such a being does exist. That's what happened to William Miller. Aside from the Bible, I found that I could get no evidence of the existence of such a savior or even a future state of one. I saw that the Bible did bring to view, yeah, I saw that the Bible did bring to view just such a savior as I needed. And I was perplexed to find how an uninspired book should develop principles so perfectly adapted to the wants of a fallen world. I was constrained to admit that the scriptures must be a revelation from God. Mm. They became my delight, and in Jesus I found a friend. That's what William Miller said. The Savior became to me the chiefest among ten thousands, and the scriptures, which before were dark and contradictory, to him at one time. Now became the lamp to my feet and the light to my path. My mind became settled and satisfied. I found the Lord God to be a rock in the midst of the ocean of life. The Bible now became my chief study and I can truly say I searched it with great delight. I found that half was never told to me. I wonder why I had not see it beauty and glory before and marvel that I could and marvel that I could have ever rejected it I found everything revealed that my heart could desire and a remedy for every disease of the soul I lost all taste for other reading and apply my heart to get wisdom from God so right here is showing you that William Miller at a certain point in time in his life who did not believe in the Bible one time, who was a deist who did not believe that God exists or, or, or exists in human um, affairs or connect with nature at all, something impressed him in his mind to search the word of God of a loving God. And that thought came to him. So it let me know that according to the Bible in St. John chapter 15, it says that I have chosen you. You have not have chosen me. Because he said that the word impressed him in his mind. So when he felt impressed, that means that William Miller was chosen. 
at that time. So do the Seventh-day Adventists mm -hmm. agree that William Miller was a chosen vessel? Yes, indeed. Can I read something? Let me read something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because what I was reading from the great controversy from the Seventh-day Adventist movement from Sister White. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes. And this is coming from William Miller. Um, it says, um, let me read this verse. It says, in many respects, William Miller might be labeled the forerunner of the Seventh-day Adventists though he himself was not connected with the movement. Mm -hmm. It was his date setting, however, which rose the curiosity of Christians to contribute to the widespread spirit of prophecy in the 1830s and the early 1840s. Mm -hmm. It goes on, it says, in addition to his Bible study, Miller kept abreast of current events and it was a combination of these two events that led him to conclude that the return of Christ was near. Finding all signs of times and present conditions of the world, he compared humorously with the prophetic descriptions of the last day. He reads, he states, I was compelled to believe that this world had about reached the limits of the period allotted for its continuation. He mm -hmm. goes on, he says, from a further study of the scriptures, I concluded that the seven times of Gentile supremacy must commerce when the Jews cease to be an independent nation mm -hmm. at the capacity of Manasseh when the best uh, Chronological assigned to be six to be BC 677 that the 200 that the 2300 days commence with the 70 weeks which the best chronologists date from BC 457 mm -hmm. and that the 100 the 1,335 days right. commencing with the taking away of the daily and mm -hmm. the setting up of the abomination that makes the desolation. Daniel 12 verse 11 right. where to be dated from the setting up of the papal supremacy after the taking away of pagan abominations and which according to the best historians I could conclude should be dated from about AD 508 reckoning all these prophetic periods from from the several dates assigned by the best chronologists for the event from which they should evidently be reckoned they would be terminated together about A.D. 1843. Mm. This conclusion was made without consulting Bible scholars or theologians. And it was deduced over a relatively short period of time. As Miller himself testified, I was thus brought in 1818 at the close of my two-year study of the scriptures to solemnly conclude that in about 25 years from the time all the affairs of our present states would be wounded up, would be wounded up. Here, here is my thing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's two years, okay, mm -hmm. of his Bible study. He can, he has studied, I don't know, his two years. Mm -hmm. And come to find out that even he himself was, did not further that teaching. It was picked up. So was he done with? Did, did the Most High God use William Miller for a two-year study span to then bring up 1833 from Shucks 1833's preaching? Uh-huh all the way to 18, 
1844. But then come to 1844 in William Miller's mind, when it did not go through, he didn't continue going on with Christ coming to earth as cleaning the sanctuary. But it then was picked up as no, Christ went to the most holy place. The most holy That's place. That's right. Mm -hmm. To then start judging men. Mm -hmm. As when he died on the cross, he says, I have defeated the earth. It's done. Right. See, the thing about it is, when you study the sanctuary, the sanctuary got three parts. Okay. You know what I mean? You got the outer court, then you got the holy place. Yes. Then you got the most holy place. Yes. So when Christ came down in the flesh, when you look at the the um, the burnt offering and you look at the lambs and the bullocks, they were all foreshadowed of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Yes. So when the children of Israel would leave their sin offering uh -huh. right there at the gate of the east gate at the outer court, because we know that the outer court is symbolic to the earth. You know what I mean? So when Christ came down from heaven to the earth, that symbolized the outer court experience of Christ. You know what I mean? When he became that burnt offering on that cross. In the outer court. In the outer court. Then he was baptized in the leather. You know what I mean? Because remember, before a priest could enter into the door of the tabernacle, they had to change their garments. So when Christ died for sinful man, in sinful flesh that he was in, he rose up as a quickening spirit. That means his garments were changed. You know what I mean? To enter into heaven, into the what? Heavenly sanctuary into the holy place. So he, he, he wasn't he he wasn't so when he was raised and Mary saw him, he said, Whoa, don't touch me. Right. I have not ascended. He was a spirit. He wasn't flesh and bones. No, he was flesh and bones, but I'm talking about as he rose up as a quickening spirit. You know what I mean? A quickening spirit means he was revived. He was made alive again. He was still flesh and bones. Okay. But remember, they couldn't recognize him. They could hear the voice of him, but they couldn't recognize him because he was able to walk through walls. Man can't walk through a wall. You know what I mean? He was able to appear to them when they were eating, the disciples. After Christ had rose, he just appeared to them. You know, they had turned around, he'd be gone. So what he could do with his flesh after he was raised, right? he couldn't do when he walked with blood in his body. You know what I mean? He wasn't able to maneuver certain things like that. You know what I mean? That you walking with Christ, that all of a sudden, he's gone. You know what I mean? I'm talking about actually disappearing. You were just talking with him right there. Like me and you talking, that all of a sudden disappeared in the chair. You know what I mean? I just vanished. You know what I mean? So that's what, how he appeared to them. You know what I mean? That's why they thought it was a ghost. You know what I mean? At you know, that time when he appeared, you know what I mean? They say, hold up, they in the upper room or they in the upper room and they have gathered together. And then all of a sudden it's in the book of Luke that he also appeared to them. That means that he was able to do certain things that he couldn't do while he was in the flesh. Because you know? the blood is out of his body. The blood so is- So he's not yeah. living by blood. He has flesh and bones. Flesh and bones. That's right. Because spirit that moves that flesh and bones. That's right, because remember the Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You know what I mean? So he was in a mortal body because he ate as a man. He felt the infirmities as a man. He was tempted at all points as a man. But he leaned upon the Father's strength for the power to overcome sin. Because he could not be our example if he was not tempted as we were. You know what I mean? So he had to become as a mortal man to give up his divinity to come down as humanity. So why didn't William Miller pursue this? Why didn't, let me see. Oh, yeah, William Miller, oh, the question. Why didn't right. William Miller, um, 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 He did continue. He did? No, he still believed that Christ was coming back. You know, even after the great disappointment, he still had in his heart until he died that Christ is coming back. Okay. He still believed in that belief. You know what I mean? But the foundation that he left, by the help of the Holy Spirit, it was a fulfillment of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. When you go to Habakkuk, it's, let's go there. Let's go there, that's why we Yeah, let's go to Habakkuk. This is what William Miller had did. And then we're going to go to the detailed information right here in the book called what, The Great Controversy. 
what chapter? We're going to go to Habakkuk in the whole Old Testament. Uh-huh. To the viewers that's listening, the book of Habakkuk is in the Old Testament. Yes. And it's right here. I'm about to go to it right now myself. It's before the book of Zephaniah and after the book of Nahum. These are small books that's in the Old Testament. And we go right here to Habakkuk. And we go right here to chapter, let me see. Yeah, chapter 2. And we start right here with verse 1. And we read on down to verse 3. Okay. I'll read verse 1. Mm-hmm. The book of Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And then verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. In verse 3, For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Key point. But at the end it shall speak and not lie, though it tarry. Mm. Wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Right here is a prophecy by Habakkuk at an appointed time. This prophecy will be fulfilled. And this prophecy was fulfilled right there because before the great disappointment took place, it was two charts that was written down that was taught by the Millerites. You know what I'm dealing with the early Adventists. My chart was written in 1843. We braced down the 2300-year prophecy and the 2520. The 2520 is dealing with the chastisement of God, what God would do, you know what I mean, when he would chastise his people of those that goes against him dealing with his covenants that he gave to them. You know what I mean? That he would chastise you. And the seven times represents what? How many years? According to the Jewish calendar, it's 360 days, not 365 days. And you times that with seven. You know what I mean? So that equals what? And seven days in a week? So you got the 2520 right there. You know what I mean? 360 and seven. 2520. You know what I mean? So the 2520 that William Miller written right there on the charts was coming from when Manasseh, because of his disobedience against God, that's where it began, the 2520 prophecy began. It began with Manasseh, when the children of Israel were taken into, in, into captivity in Babylon. You know what I mean? That represents their disobedience against God's law, because they were worshiping different gods, God allowed Babylon to put the children of Israel in captivity. And that happened around the time of Jeremiah, the prophet, when they were in ancient Babylon. That was the seven times, you know? Sure. You know, so that was the prophecy that was written also on the charts. Okay. Can I break down the charts real quick? Yes, what are the charts? What are they called again? They call the charts is dealing with the prophetic prophecies, dealing with Daniel and the revelations, and it's dealing with the 2520, and it's dealing with the 2300-year prophecy. And it's dealing with the 1335-year prophecy. And it's dealing with the 1290-year prophecy. So you got all these different prophecies in the book of Daniel chapter 12. You know what I mean? That was written down on tables of stones. The vision that Habakkuk has said will come at a certain point in time. But it would be a tearing time. A tearing time means it will be a disappointment that would take place. So this was already prophesied in the word of God about this tearing time. You know, because he said that you might not understand right now, but the understanding will come to you, and it should not lie. The 2520. So let me go into the detail part right here in the book of the great controversy, the breakdown when the two charts came. I'm going to chapter, I'm turning to it right now. I'm going to chapter 22 called Prophecy Fulfilled. And I'm going to go right here to what we just read, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. I'm going to go right here with the breakdown, right here, what took place. Among these prophecies was that of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1 and 4, what we just read. I will stand upon my watch and sent upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me 
and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, and make a plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for a point in time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. As early as 1842, the direction given in this prophecy to write the vision and make a plan upon tables that he may run that readeth it has suggested to Charles Fitch the preparation of a prophetic chart to illustrate the visions of Daniel in the Revelations. The publication of this chart, chart was regarded as a fulfillment of the command given by Habakkuk. No one, however, then noticed then at a current delay in the accomplishment of the vision. At turn time, it's presented in the same prophecy. After the disappointment, this scripture appears very significant. The vision is yet for a point in time, but the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. The just shall live by his faith. A portion of Ezekiel's prophecy also was a source of strength and comfort to the believers of the event movement. The word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, what is that proverb that ye have in the land of Israel, saying the days are prolonged and every vision faileth? Tell them therefore, thus saith the Lord God, the days are at hand and the effect of every vision. I will speak and the word that I shall speak shall come to pass. It shall be no more prolonged. They of the house of Israel say, The vision that he seeth is for many days to come, and he prophesieth of the times that are afar off. Therefore say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, There shall none of my words be prolonged any more, but the word which I have spoken shall be done. That's in the book of Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 21 through 25, verse 27, 28. The waiting ones rejoice. Those people that went through that great disappointment of 1844, they rejoice because they had an understanding, don't know why the delay took place. Why did this event that we were all waiting for did not take place? Because we thought that Christ was going to come back. Is this the chart right here? Yes, sir. Yep, the visions of Daniel and Revelations. The 1843 chart right here. That's the biblical chart of doing his studying that Charles Fitch had put together that we just read right there in the great controversy right here called Prophecy Being Fulfilled. Charles Fitch in 1842, that's when that chart was being worked on in 1843, 1842. And that is the 1843 chart. And then you have another chart that came out in 1850 after the Great Disappointment when the Seventh-day Adventist movement started, they had the 1850 chart. So they still believe in the work of William Miller. That goes back to the question. Do the Seventh-day Adventist, come on. Do the Seventh-day Adventist hold William Miller as a person that was used by God? Yes. Because after the 1843 chart came out about the prophecy that was being fulfilled right before them, dealing with the different kingdoms that came about in Daniel chapter 2 that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream on and Daniel was revealing the different kingdoms that came about. They put it right there, they put the vision right there on the chart that was fulfilled by Habakkuk. So people during the last day will understand where they at in prophecy that we at the end time that Christ is about to return. You know what I mean? So right here, they put that chart right there of Babylon, Medo Persia, Greece, and Rome, then the 10 kingdoms that broke up from Rome, the United States of America. That's the buffalo symbol with the two horns. You know what I mean? So that's when that chart was built to give them clarity where they were at in prophecy. Okay. You know what I mean? So that's the 1843 chart that came out with the adventures of William Miller, but another chart came out. But remember, the prophecy had to be fulfilled. Two tables were written down. So the other table came in 1850. You can also type that in, in 1850. You know what I mean? It was a chart that came out. Now they got the Sabbath now in the 1850 chart. You know what I mean? Because remember, the chart should not lie. You know what I mean? Because it was missing a couple things. 
So wait a minute. So we had a chart that was missing a couple of things. No, it was a chart that they probably did. You know, it wasn't missing, but it was some things they probably didn't understand. You know how sometimes you gotta have a vision that you might not understand the vision, so you're writing it down. But after the great disappointment, after the third time, remember what Habakkuk says: it would not lie to you. You will be able to see that. So what chart is that one? Is what it's, it's, it's called the 1850 chart of William Miller. So that's the two tables that was written down in vision. So viewers, that's what we're um, talking about right now for the listeners. Two tables that was written down on stone. So you know how it looks? Yes. Um, matter of fact, that's 1843. I think, yeah, that should be the 1851 right there. Yeah, because two charts right there. Yeah, there you go. That's the one? Yeah, the one that you had on top. Right there, that's it right there, because it got, it got 1843 and 1850. It got them both side to side. Yeah, so that's the two tables right there. So the look that lets you know that William Miller was used by the Holy Spirit, yet he was used for that time to bring the foundation of the last day movement of the remnant. Yeah, that's it. What's that? The 1850? Yeah, that's the 1850 right there. Yeah, that's 1850. Yeah. Yeah, because it got 1844 right there. Because remember, 1843 don't got 1844. Yeah, that should be the 18... No, yeah, that, yeah, the 1843 dude, I think, got 1844, but I think this is the 1851 right here. So that's the two, that's the Habakkuk being fulfilled right there. Because remember, they had to go through a tearing time. You know what I mean? But William Miller was being used during that time to bring the foundation of our faith coming from the book of Daniel and Revelations. Because Jesus taught his disciples, read, and understand the book of Daniel to understand, to understand the size of the end. That's in Matthew 24. And once we got the book of Daniel and the Revelation, then we understand what time period that, that we in. What's that? That's the... I think that's the 1850 because it should say it right there on the right hand, on the top. Yeah, because it talked about Islam fell. And they had a prediction about Islam falling in 1840. Then with the Ottoman Empire that took over Constantinople during the time of the Dark Ages. Yeah. They talk about, um, it was a, um, Josiah Lynch prophesied according to the chart that Islam will fall. And that's fulfilling Revelation chapter 9 about Islam. And it came to pass. So, this is the chart right here? Yeah, that's the chart. Yep. This gotta be, yeah. This is, yeah, yep, yep. Paper wrong. Paper wrong. Yes, paper sir. Wrong. Then when you go right here and talk about the Muhammads. The Muhammads. Yeah, yep. That's fulfilling Revelation chapter 9. Yep, that's the chart right there. 1840 to eight, yeah, with 1340 to 1844, yeah. Oh, um, well, so we can continue this study, right? Mm-hmm. So we can continue this study. I'm going to try to order this chart to have Amen. it on here on the wall so we can really get into Woo. it. Woo! Right. The thing is, is that, I'm, is that we're really trying to get in and, and, and talk about, you know, um, what you believe, Brother Will. You yes, know, sir. I, I, um, and we're getting into William Miller. Um, I think that it's going to get a little bit more intense. Oh, yes, sir. Say. Amen. Um, um, it's new to the listeners. It's new to the listeners. It's one that I am trying to also understand because we have to understand Amen. Go ahead. what movements are what. Right. Okay. Amen. We know that Christ sent out the disciples by two when they came back and they saw somebody else out there. Amen. Christ the said, don't, don't mess with them. Mm -hmm. There are those who are in certain religions, denominations that don't agree. Right. Um, but does not mean that the Most High God did not instruct. Now, when we come to the seven day Adventists, you say that people came out from all different denominations. Yes, sir. The foundation of it. Which I think I've read this. I had this book. I bought this book. Mm hmm. And they put the seven day Adventists in this book, right? Right. Okay. Where that I am, um, when I first heard about it, it's called Another Gospel. Right. Where that I am trying to get an understanding with that the Seventh-day Adventist is not another gospel, with that it preaches the gospel. You said that 
the Seven Day Adventist is the Church of Tyrant Byron. No, of um, Laodicea. Of Laodicea. That church is being judged. Okay, so you say The that. judgment. And see, this is where we're going to have to get in all of this to yes. show. Got we got time with this. Can Rush I go a little bit more? Yes, brother. Read about Yeah, William, we need to bring more, you know, bodies, you know, for the hairs. Okay. Miller.